This week we read The Valley of Fear, Part 1. Or, dude, where's my dumbbell? Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, A, B, start, select, all my buddies. Welcome back to the final Podblum in the year 2020 of some of our Lord. The game, as ever, is afoot. I, for my part, am cursed to be old C.W. Hills until one of you says my true name backwards and frees me from this hell dimension. (laughs) And joining me is someone who has not completely convinced me that he is the genuine Nick I... I am blessed to be Nicholas Cohen. I worked hard for that name, mm. and I am going to keep it. Mm. And whoever wants to take it from me is okay. going to have to fight me physically. I am 5'7", and I'm ready to go. <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> you went down to California, and someone calling themselves Nick Cohen came back. I don't have any proof that it's I you. could be a changeling. We don't know. Let's move on. So, the Valley of Fear. <laughs> it would explain a lot. No, wait a minute. No, you tell, tell, me, tell me something that only Nick would know. How would you know things about me that you've only known me for like two yeah, years? You know what? That's, that's not the point, Changeling. Quit trying to squirm out of the rules so, of the game. So let's see. Hmm. Something only I would know. Yeah. I, about my cat. About or which something. one? <laughs> okay. You know. No. You know what? Oh, fair enough. Oh, that was oh, a solid oh, answer. Brigadoon. Casey Brigadoon. Yep. Brigadoon. Okay, yeah, fair yep. enough. All right, Brigadoon. It is. That's that's our. That's Have our we shibboleth. talked about that on air? Or are people just the Brigadoon Shibboleth is my new Tom Clancy. This is novel. like um, deep inside joke lore or something. It's not. It's not. We were both in a high school production of Brigadoon that uh, that the very night before opening night, uh, all the teachers came and said, "Hey, you know this play that we chose for you and that you've been rehearsing for nine months? We didn't realize it was full of drinking and sexual innuendo, so we need you to cut all of this the night before opening." Night. <laughs> they were like, "They were like, this script was written in the '30s. It's probably fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> There's never There's drinking little... in old movies." <laughs> Wait a minute. Why isn't there a haze code seal of approval on this? Uh, all right. Anyway, we are back, and I, for my part. Am uh drinking uh, a lovely tea that was sent to me by friend of the show and friend of the two humans who do the show, uh, Jackie, the true dark salt on Twitter. <laughs> she sent both Nicholas and I some Sherlock Holmes themed teas from Adaigo, Adaigo, A D A G I O dot com, and you can get like their fandom tea blends for your various fandoms. Uh, I got the one I got right now is it's called Study in Scarlet and it is Ruibos almond fruit medley dewy cherry hibiscus raspberry leaves cherries. Uh, it's called Study in Scarlet and I've made up a wee, a wee cup of it right here and I'm gonna have my very first sip right now. Let's go. So this is real time. This is happening. I'm so this stoked. is happening to all of us. Hold your hands, people. Oh come on, that's lovely. <laughs> it sounds really like, good. You said there was ginger in there. It's or? really good. Uh, no, there's no ginger, but there's like, um... What are you getting hints All of, of them, I... Aromas. I'm getting hints of tobacco. Oh, wow, honestly. damn, okay. Get, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Re- and I, here's, here's the thing, I don't smoke often because I'm an asthmatic man, but god damn, mm. do I love me some tobacco, dude. Well, there you go, you got your, you good. got your guilt-free, or lung guilt-free oh. tobacco fix there. At my fix, it's very fruity and sweet, uh, it's very delicate, the, uh, the tobacco comes through... 
mostly uh, through the nose, which is pretty good. I put probably too much sugar in there for the for the tea purists at hand, but you know what? I'm an American swine, and this is how I do things. <laughs> so next time, Nicholas, you'll have to you'll have to brew one of these up and tell us uh, what how your I absolutely tastes. will. I got one with Baskerville in the name, and it has berries in it, and I love me some berry teas. I specifically drink tea because go. I specifically drink non-caffeinated teas because i get i drink so much coffee and i gotta balance it out somehow so yeah i'm really excited for that one it's like blackberry or something i'm super stoked right and also the tins that they come in are oh they're so good i was not expecting this the tea is loose leaf and it comes in this little like altoid sized tin and they are so pretty they look like the text is like vintage style is incredible and i'm totally gonna reuse every single one of them for like thumbtacks and stuff it's gonna be awesome Absolutely. We'll post a picture of uh of, of our of yes. our collected tins here. It's very good. Oh, so uh we've got some some brief things to go over before we begin proper on this Odyssey that Andrew Orsi sent <laughs> us on. Wasn't he a peach of a guest, listeners? I before love he that sentenced so us to read this. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. I hope we have him back one day. Um so uh, news here. Uh, you may, listeners, be familiar with the Watsonian Weekly, uh, which is run by Sherlock Peoria, Brad Kefauver, uh, Robert Parrott, who is an actual published Sherlock author. We've talked about them before. They're real cool mm-hmm. guys, and they have always been super sweet to us on the show. They give us shout-outs all the time, which we very much appreciate. Well, uh, Brad Kefauver, Fauver? Brad, um, editor-in-chief of the John H. Watson Society, uh, recently published a wee novella called Radix Pedis Diabolidae, which is a wee story taking place entirely during Watson's hallucination that happens in The Devil's Foot, which we read just a little while ago. Uh, I am given to understand that it is goofy as hell and super delightful. It's available uh, in the Kindle store, and you should go buy it. It's like 2 bucks 99 and we're definitely going to do an episode devoted specifically oh, to it. Oh, worth it, it. So, yeah. G- yeah, go check that out. Um, I also wanted to talk about, okay, so a couple of weeks ago, it was celebrated as being Sherlock's birthday, right? And there was a, there was a big to-do on Twitter about it. Everybody was like, yay, it's Sherlock Day, hooray. Mm -hmm. And then Robert Parrott, uh, who is Robert P221B, and again, published Sherlock author who knows what the fuck he's talking about. Uh, tweeted something about how, hey, it's actually really, really bad that anyone thinks this is Sherlock's birthday, but I'm not going to talk too much about it. So I was like, wait, what's, what's going on? What's the tea, Robert? Apparently, what's the tea? The tea, well, the tea is a Ruibos almond <laughs> blend. It's fucking delightful is what it is. But no, the, the actual tea is that, and here I'm quoting from him. So this is not my research, but he's a legitimate scholar. So I'm just okay. going to trust him on this. January 6th was declared Sherlock Holmes' birthday by Christopher Morley based on nothing. Uh, Christopher Morley also founded the Baker's Street Irregulars with all of their classist, misogynist, toxic garbage. Uh, the fact... The fact that January 6th is Holmes' birthday cannot be questioned in many quarters because Christopher Morley declared it thus and only for that reason. So the instance that home, the insistence rather, that January 6th is Holmes' birthday is an appeal to false and bad authority, and it acquiesces to insidious forms of abused structural power within the fandom. Do 90% of people who post an image of Sherlock wearing a birthday hat know this? No. (laughs) Do the other 10% know exactly what upholding the whims of a dead supreme leader signify? Yup. So, uh, all right. Who cares? 
he cares very much, and he makes the excellent point that really, if we're gonna make, if we're gonna fabricate a birthday for a fictional character, and specifically for this character, shouldn't it be on 221? Yes! Okay, you know what? You know what? That is the strongest argument. I was totally willing right? to just be like, I didn't know anything about this. I, I saw the tweet and I was like, okay, I don't really like, I don't know. I, I was in the middle of a bunch of stuff. I didn't do any research whatsoever. I always heard the right. same thing that it was on that date. And I was like, all right, you know, it's, it's a fictional character. He, he never has like an explicit canonical birthday. We might as right. well celebrate it on a day. But, um, that is the solidest argument. And I'm absolutely like, on board with it for real like dude. for real just leave with that like come yeah. on 220 or 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 212 wait no or what did he say or if we're being if we're being british about it uh 22 1 which wait no that, that doesn't a, work there's never only mind. 12 months we that's got a mayan yeah. calendar date. never <laughs> mind okay <laughs> but still yeah that's okay I, i'd be totally like february 21st why not you know for sure. Yeah, absolutely. February twenty first. It's the new Sherlock's birthday. Right. We're gonna everybody. Make it so uh, everybody folks. got on board. February twenty first. Yeah, mark it down on your calendars. Ready your pens, like MC Frontalot taught us. So, the Valley of Fear is a long ass book. <laughs> it's not. Uh, especially there's it's seven the chapters in part one. Shut up! It's the train. The train. Ah, uh, I missed it so much when I was Man. in San Diego. Favorite. Love it. Oh, that lonesome sound. Also, I think that's the most brusque I've ever been with you. I no, it's fine. No, absolutely. That was important. <laughs> we were just talking about that's it. That's a level of friendship. <laughs> that's an unlocked level of friendship when somebody yells at you to shut up so they can hear the train. Nah, we're good. Like, I got interrupted so much as a person growing up that I, it's oh, like, dude. I'm used to it by now. But, like, it's, you're oh, my friend, no. so it's okay. <laughs> no, I'm not going to be a part of that. Nah, we're good. Okay, anyway, it's, no, it's probably not a long book. The problem was, because we're used to the short story format, I wasn't sure how many notes to take, and as a result, I took all of Same. them. Same. No, so, I got four pages right here, yeah. dude, and, like, none of them are actually... Now that I've gotten to the end of part one, none of them are actually, like, relevant. I yeah, did... It's, it's I do have relevant. one note that I'm gonna bring up when we get to it that I was very, very okay. proud of. Um, so, very yeah. Good. Me too. All right. So let's jump in. We've, uh, we have uh, leaned upon the gentle listener's hospitality long enough, uh, and it's time to give them what they came for. It's time to give Liz Layton her fix. Time to chop up this podcast so she can snort it while she's shivering on Tom Sawyer right. Island for the, for the pleasure of passersby. Uh. So... Why don't you, why don't you jump us in here, Nick? Because you, you seem to enjoy this, not more than I did, but you're, you're very excited about this. So I enjoyed this novel a lot because, mainly because I just didn't remember anything about it. And my initial impressions after just reading it, just getting, at least getting to the end of part one, um, it's only two Mm -hmm. parts. And they're only, like I said, seven chapters long each. Actually, I don't, part two is probably like one chunk of its own thing. I'm not really sure. But, um, I think chapter two, I think, I think part two is eight chapters. Oh, is it? Okay. So. Yeah. So, and they're all really short. It's honestly like pretty, pretty quick to get through if you just like. If you're just, if you're just casually reading it and you don't have a time crunch and also you don't have ADHD, it's super, it's a breeze. But, um, so yeah, there, uh, I, this story is not compared to the other novels. It's not so fantastic in that. It's, it honestly all kind of takes place in one area. Um, it doesn't mm-hmm. go a lot of places geographically. It's, it's a, it's a locked castle. It mystery. is. Yeah, it is. Um, and yeah. the, yeah, the murder is kind of, it's, it's pretty messy, but it's not particularly, you know, outstanding. Uh, but it, 
is very neat, in my opinion. It has a lot... If yeah. you like Holmes being smug and knowing more yeah. than everyone and holding it above oh, their heads, boy. you are going to love yeah. this story because there's so much of that. Holmes is having a great time yeah. in this one. Um, Settle in. Wrestle up some fiddle and battle. And you also get... I, I'm just looking back at my earlier notes. You actually get a lot of... If you like Moriarty as well, there's a lot... The whole first yeah. couple chapters are um, Holmes going on about Moriarty. The one thing I really liked was uh, a, a detail that I like about these stories is that Moriarty... Conan Doyle puts Moriarty as, like, so good that literally no one suspects him of being related to any crime. Yes. Like, it's not even that, like, he's London's most well-known criminal and Holmes' is well-known no. arch-nemesis. It's like, according to everyone in London, including, like, the official police force, Holmes is just yeah. off, like... I was just going on about Moriarty for no reason. Everyone's like, yeah. this guy, really? This math professor? And, uh, it's, I really like that. Um, I, I liked rereading it or perhaps reading it for the first time. I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I thought it was fun. Uh, there's, and I also might just be completely biased by how much I surprisingly got right in this one. I don't know if it was just a really yeah. easy. Yeah, I don't know if it was. I was right, right about a thing. I, and that like never happens. <laughs> like even stories I've read I before, know. I'll be like, I think this is what happened, and then it was something else. I'm proud. But of with this one, I actually got quite a bit right, and I don't know if it's just because I've been reading so much. I'm like just in the thick of Sherlock Holmes stories right now that I can follow yeah, all right. of Doyle's like like I know what he does a lot. Or if it is actually just an easy mystery, um, I would love to hear back from listeners as to what they think, well, if I'm actually smart I mean, or not, but... <laughs> I mean, no, dude, you're, defi you're, de you're definitely smart, and you, I mean, you're a, you're a former classics major, you understand story structure, and you understand tropes and how, how that mm -hmm. works, but also, like, here's the thing, when you're Arthur Conan Doyle and you're writing the Sherlock Holmes stories, you're the paterfamilias of, like, the mystery genre, so, like, it's not that it's necessarily an easy twist or an easy thing to figure right. out. It's just that, like, it was the first one, so you've seen it a Oh, yeah, times. that's a good point. So you think if someone yeah. was into detective stories and somehow had never read any Sherlock Holmes, they would have a pretty easy time with them? Do you think that someone could Probably. figure out most of the, most of the story? At Probably. least the ones that give you enough clues. Because there's some that are just straight up, like, only Holmes knows. Or something really specific. Yeah, there there are a couple of things. There are a couple of things you you couldn't guess uh, in a million years because they they rely on particular <laughs> knowledge. And and we'll get to that. And we will get into the story yeah. in a second. But it's it's true that like I'm okay. So the Dresden Files, <laughs> um, my favorite my favorite wizard private detective <laughs> stories. Um, the the new one is coming out in July. It's been six fucking years. Oh, he's still writing um, them. And shoot, yeah, he's still writing. <laughs> That's Dude. awesome. It, well, in fairness. In the midst, in the, in, in those intervening six years, he also released a short, short, a short story collection, which was very good. He's actually writing two of the major novels at a time right wow. now. And he got divorced. Oh, wow. So okay. I didn't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he, he gets some Plenty. slack. Yeah. But anyway, so I'm, I'm embarking on a reread or more specifically a re-listen on Audible. And the first couple of them are just silly with private eye tropes. <laughs> yeah. Because that was, that was the thing. Is, is it like Nor? Butcher wrote like, yeah, okay. Yes, it is exactly full cool. of noir tropes, which means it has opinions about yep. games. But, um, yeah. But see, that's the thing, is Jim Butcher wrote the first one specifically to prove that an urban fantasy detective noir story should not work. And he was <laughs> wrong, because it does. It was real good. But yeah, like, 
I think noir more than almost any other genre. Well, and mysteries as a super, you know, a super mm-hmm. genre to noir. Um, I think they're some of the tropiest things. Oh, yeah. Because... In most stories, characters behave unpredictably, and you're kind of just along for the ride. I think I think mysteries and detective stories are the only ones where you're really like playing a game with the book, mm-hmm. trying to trying to guess what's going on, and the things that Doyle throws in there. Because one of the reasons I was so frustrated with this story yeah. is because there are there are a lot of fiddly details, and I can't tell what's thrown in there just to throw me off the scent and what's actually important. And with that said, let's actually start talking about the story instead of just... Yeah, Okay, so they're sitting there, and Watson... It's one of my favorite lines ever. Watson says, I'm inclined to think, oh, I should do so. (laughs) Which is great. Don't tell me you haven't said that to your friend at least once. Just like... Yeah. (laughs) And Watson just pops into narrator mode and says, I believe that I am one of the most long-suffering mortals. (laughs) Which I just read as, bitch! (laughs) (laughs) Literally, I... One of my absolute favorite... I love Watson so much. Like, he... It's very good. I love in... And, like, the stories do this, and the Granada Sherlock Holmes adaptations do this really well, where Mm -hmm. Watson goes from this, like, he goes on this journey of, like, the length of time which he's known Holmes, and his reactions to Holmes just being a dick to him go from, like, genuinely hurt to just, like, (laughs) all right, come on. Like, he just gets more and more patient and tired as it goes on. And to the point where, like, at some, he just doesn't react. There's, there's a specific scene in, um, one of the episodes, one of the TV episodes, where mm-hmm. Holmes has to demonstrate how someone got rid of a gun, and they, sure. they threw it into the river, but they, like, tied it to some, to a weight, and had it, like, drag over the edge and into the river, whatever. And he's like, Watson, give me your gun, and Watson's like, gosh, I know where this is going. And <laughs> he gives Holmes the gun, and Holmes demonstrates, Watson just watches the gun go oh, over, shit. splash into the water, and he just looks at Holmes, and he's, like, leaning on the edge of the bridge, and he just says, and he just was like, my revolver, Holmes. Just deadpan monotone, so tired. And it's the best delivery ever. I love it. Um, Edward Hardick it's is like my favorite good. Watson of all time. But yeah, just, so it's very much one of those, <laughs> just like, and I also so, really like the idea of Watson being in control of the narrative to the point where yes. he can really say whatever he wants about Holmes and get oh, away yeah. with it. <laughs> so anytime oh, yeah. Holmes does anything annoying, Watson can just be like, well, actually, like, just, he can, right? he can frame it however he wants. This son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I was thinking about that. I mean, because Watson is the audience surrogate, he's really, the kind of Watson you get in a story is really what sets the tone, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So like, if you get a goofy Watson, then you kind of know what kind of fun, bouncy romp you're in for. But mm-hmm. if you get a, I don't know, Jude Law did a really good job of being a very stoic, very serious Watson, but also had a, he had a really dry, funny undercurrent. Oh yeah, no, he, he was a great Watson. He, he had a good balance of the like, utterly done with Holmes' shit, but also really interested in wanting to be involved, but like not wanting yeah. to show it too much. It was really good. It was a very yeah. good balance. It was the Watson that Robert Downey Jr.'s Holmes needed. Cause his yeah, Holmes absolutely. was so utterly goofy. Like, and not yeah. even, not necessarily in a bad way. Like, he was serious enough, but there was, it, they're just very funny movies. So, it was they a really are, good balance. a lot of fun. With yeah. those two, yeah. yeah. And that reminds me, uh, what you say about Watson being in control of the narrative, which is great. <laughs> um, in my favorite book, The Way of Kings, um, 
in the culture that the book takes place in, men don't read or write. It's considered a feminine art. Uh, and okay. later, <laughs> later, okay, so, so everything is divided into men's and women's duties, which is absolutely a commentary on gender roles uh, mm-hmm. in our society. Like, like women, uh, wear garments that button over their left hands because the left hand is the sexy hand. So you gotta keep that <laughs> hidden. It's <laughs> super dumb. It's so good. I love but, that. Um, but because only women are taught to read and write, uh, if you're a man, you have to have a scribe to read to you or to take down your notes or whatever. And in every book that's sold, there's the main text, there's whatever the man was saying that you were, you know, taking the dictation on, and underneath there's what's called undertext, where mm-hmm. the woman who's writing, his wife or his scribe or whoever, can be like, uh, actually this motherfucker was wrong about a lot of stuff. <laughs> and, that and rules. It's great, and it's an unspoken rule that, like, we don't mention the undertext. Men cannot know this exists. Mm, that <laughs> is I feel so like, funny. Yeah, and uh, I feel like we are that for Watson. We are his undertext. Mm-hmm. So, okay, we are one sentence into the story. We're doing good. <laughs> um, we're excited, listeners. It's been a long time. Um, life, life threw some, life threw some ball bearings into our washing machines, mm. um, and we haven't gotten to record in a long time. So, thank you for putting up with us. Yes, they receive. Holmes has an envelope. Uh, what is in this envelope, Nicholas? Um, he has a uh, note with a code on it. It's a bunch of numbers and a couple of words. And he's he's working it out, or he's already worked it out, or something. And um, yeah, it's funny because I, as much as I talk, this is going to be my last diversion for a while, I promise. But uh-huh. as much as much as I, uh, he lied. As much as I talk about not remembering the story at all, I have. Surprisingly, only one picture of Sherlock Holmes up in my room. It's on my desk. I got a desk with like a glass top so you can lift up the glass and put, uh, it's really cool. You can put, um, you can lift up the glass top and put, uh, pictures, whatever you want on it. Oh, that's rad. And then like set it back down. And so I've got like, you know, a couple of like, uh, pictures I clipped out of Nat Geo and stuff like that. And then I have a picture, um, that I think I took out of a, English textbook <laughs> that I just kept um, right. and from school and uh it's a picture of I'll, I'll find the image somewhere and I'll put it up on the Twitter uh for visual reference but it's a picture of Holmes with a pipe and he's holding a note and it is actually the note from the Valley of Fear <laughs> so I got like one page into this novel and I was like oh okay <laughs> that story uh still didn't remember anything about it but I have the picture it's a great picture it's honestly one of my favorite illustrations of Holmes that I've ever seen. I don't know if it's Sydney Paget or not because it's mm-hmm. it's colored, but um I don't know. I'll, I'll post it and uh I'm sure I think it is Sydney Paget who's like the most famous Holmes illustrator. He did like sure. the whole he invented the deerstalker basically. But um Oh, right on. Yeah, so yeah, I'll find which that Which is picture. another thing that's not mentioned in the stories, is it? No, Holmes it's not. A deerstalker. Yeah, that's like one of the big first myths that you find out when you actually that's pretty figure cool. out about Sherlock Holmes is he didn't really ever wear a deerstalker. And do you know what? The Dresden Files does the same thing, because on the cover of every book, they show Harry Dresden in this, like, badass long coat with a badass, like, fedora, like, long-brim fedora cowboy mm-hmm. sort of thing, and his magic staff all covered in runes. He doesn't wear a hat at all in any <laughs> of the books. And eventually, he even acknowledges it. He's like, I don't know why people keep expecting me to wear hats. I don't wear hats. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. Very good. Yeah. By the way, listeners, like, don't get me wrong. Uh, Jackie is a dear friend who's been in my life for a long time, and I was very prepared to lie about how good this tea was, especially on air, because I wasn't <laughs> going to drag, you know, a gift that a friend gave me out of the kindness of her heart. This tea's fucking delicious. I know. I, I see. I've seen you take so many sips, like more than you normally do during recording. Oh, it's so it's kind of it's almost the the flavor is almost kind of chewy. I don't like um. 
uh, I don't, I'm not a big, big fan of fruit teas, generally speaking. That um, that that youth berry tea you sent me was delicious. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, but mainly I'm a jasmine green kind of guy. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, something about this. So go go get yourself some study in scarlet tea from Adagio. Adagio. Yeah, adagio.com. Uh, tell him the Podblum sent you. I think it might Even. be Ad- Adiago or something. Maybe. Ad- I think that's a cheese. Yeah, probably. All right. <laughs> no, that's not a cheese. Okay, so, yes, he gets this note, and this note says 534, C2, 13, 1, 27, 36, 31, 4, 17, 21, 41, Douglas, 109, 2, 39, 5, 37, <laughs> Burlstone, 26, Burlstone, 9, 47, 1, 71. Yes. Um, cash for the cotton goods, cash for the hard goods. <laughs> so, yeah, it's this nonsense. And it is evidently uh, from an associate of Sherlock's called Porlock, mm-hmm. uh, who, which is a nom de plume. Um, and it is someone in Moriarty's employ with whom Sherlock has been corresponding. Um, Sherlock actually says that, that uh, Porlock says, yeah, this isn't my real name. I dare you to find out who I am, which why would you, t- I think, why would you <laughs> tempt the fates like that? Like he'll do it. He's Sherlock <laughs> Exactly. But later on, uh, Watson asks him, well, have you ever found out who he is? And he says, no, because I said I wouldn't. And that was very sweet to me. It's, I like that Sherlock yeah. has rules. He, he plays fair to his own rules, he but he still plays fair. Yeah, so he's he's been cultivating a relationship with this Porlock, um, whether through quote led on by some some rudimentary aspirations toward right and encouraged by the judicious stimulation of an occasional ten pound note sent to him by devious methods, <laughs> which, I mean, you know, moral correctitude and the knowledge that you've done the right thing are nice, but you know what they don't buy food, right. so it's <laughs> reasonable. Uh, Guys, gotta make a living. That, it's true. Um, Porlock himself is is not important, but he is important because of the great man with whom he is in touch. And mm-hmm. I'm not gonna lie, I 100 percent, 100 percent. And I'm not gonna, and I'm not gonna lie, I 100 percent thought Holmes meant himself. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it is uh, yeah. it is Moriarty, the famous scientific criminal. Yeah, and um. I actually, I, unfortunately, I didn't take too many notes on chapters one or two, but I do know okay. that um, Inspector McDonald is introduced. Uh, Fuck yeah, I love this dude. <laughs> he's great. He's awesome. This um, dude's so good. He has so much spirit uh, about the wrong things, but still. <laughs> yes. Uh, and yeah, he he kind of and he's like this new fresh uh, detective, and he is totally like excited to be working with Holmes. He he wants to like learn as much as he can from him but yet holmes just keeps kind of testing him a little bit um, he really does he plays with him he, it's a lot of fun mcdonald is a, he, it's a little hard for him to be convinced that moriarty is actually a criminal mastermind and that holmes right. isn't just having a bee in his bonnet uh about right. this whole thing and he's like moriarty that moriarty the math professor having a damsel flying in sure deerstalker right yeah. and um uh, Holmes gives this whole, uh, he sits, he sits McDonald down, he's like, alright, here's, here's what I know about Moriarty, and he, he, he paints kind of a picture of his office. Ah, nice. Yeah, nice. And, uh, he paints a picture of his office, including, um, a specific paint, cause Holmes has been there before, somehow he snuck in, you know, he's been there. And, I've um, done a piece of skulking <laughs> in time. And Moriarty has a painting over his desk that is, apparently just super rare and worth 
like priceless, priceless art piece. And he also yeah. happens to know exactly like how much Like a Nicholas Moriarty, Cohen original. Right, exactly. Um, and he also knows how much Moriarty makes, and there's no way with what he makes yeah. he could possibly afford to just buy it. So he had, like, no. how did that, how'd the painting get there? And McDonald's was like, and McDonald's like, well, you got me there. <laughs> so <laughs> you say that now. <laughs> so um, it's very good. So there's this whole long thing about Morty Artie, and then it kind of just drops him for a long time. For yeah, kind of the whole rest of part one. I know yeah, I forgot like, too but... until I looked at my notes and saw Moriarty, and I was like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> Dude, yeah how about that?" Yeah. So they've got a cipher, is what they've got on their hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a cipher that Holmes, for all of his big sexy brains, uh, is unable to crack because it is not pattern based. It is not something where we could use the E frequency, like in the case of the the Dancing Man's. Uh, this requires a specific book to decode, not mm-hmm. unlike Hannibal Lecter used uh to direct Francis Dollarhide toward the murder of Will Graham during the Red Dragon events. So, uh they try to figure out it Watson says, "Well, that's it then. There's nothing we can do because we don't know we don't know what book it is." And Holmes is like, "Well, we obviously, yeah, and obviously they wouldn't give us the name of the book cuz then we'd be able to solve it immediately." Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um so we see the return of Billy the Page Boy. Uh, who was mentioned, I think, in Study in Scarlet. And, like, so, that's it. Yeah. I think, yeah. No, he had to go into intense therapy, but he's back. Uh, <laughs> he has a second letter from Porlock, which says that Porlock can go no further in this relationship with Holmes, for Moriarty literally walked in on him while he was preparing to send the Holmes the key to the cipher, oh. and is now he- hella spish. Rip that uh, guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's dead. Porlock, he is scared out of his gourd, RSVP Porlock. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knew that if Sherlock, like, just stopped hearing from him, he would come a-calling on Moriarty, and that would be bad. Yeah. So they are they are out of luck. And uh, Holmes says, well, Watson, I'm all coked up. Let's try it anyway. <laughs> so, quote, let us consider the problem in the light of pure reason. This man's reference is to a book. What indications have we as to this book? None, Holmes. Well, hold on, stupid. And they spend... <laughs> They spend a couple of pages figuring out um, that with this sequence of numbers, they figure out that 534 can reasonably be assumed to be a page number. Mm-hmm. C2 is probably column 2, not chapter 2, because, you, you know, chapter 2 isn't going to show up 500 pages into a book. Right. So it has to be a, a large, common, readily available book that is printed in at least two columns. It's not the Bible, because Moriarty's men are not churchgoers. And anyway, <laughs> there are too many editions, so it has to be a standardized book, which is something that Casey also wondered about before they figured it out so what do they figure out nicholas i think doesn't it end up being um encyclopedia or something (laughs) is it the encyclopedia uh it is in fact the almanac the almanac right yeah it wasn't the encyclopedia no it wasn't like the uh it wasn't that because it was too dry or something uh something like that sorry this chapter was a while ago (laughs) that's true i got so, so i feel like i was reading two different books by the time i got to the manor house (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're good, dude. So, uh, yeah, it, tr- it transpires that it is, in fact, an almanac, which is standardized. There's only one edition of it. So they grab the almanac, and they, they queue up all of the positions that all these words should be in according to the information they found. And the message, which Porlock risked life, limb, and liberty to get over to Sherlock, is Manhattan, government, pig bristles. So pro- <laughs> probably not. It's yeah. probably not what he intended to say. <laughs> and I would have bet solid money on this point. Uh, that it was going to be Moriarty's book, the book that made him famous, the book about the big rock in space. Right, you would but think. 
Dynamics, dynamics of an asteroid. But no. See, here's the dynamics of an asteroid. Well, and see, here's the thing. That's something Holmes would do because Holmes is precious. Moriarty is not precious. <laughs> yeah. Moriarty is the devil. Moriarty so, has never felt an emotion in his life. <laughs> so he, he has observed other children having them and found it interesting. <laughs> but, um, they were using too recent an almanac, apparently. They have to use last year's almanac. That killed half a page, Doyle. Good right? job. Yeah, so, no. He, I just want y'all to know, if you're really interested in code breaking, we got you. They go through yeah. step by step. Every single, they really do. every single aspect of this is, God, well, it's great. And what's interesting is, uh, this was, hey Google, when was the gold bug written? Published in 1843. Jesus. Okay Google. Published in- thank you. Um, thank you again guest editor Jasper for making that so very, very <laughs> loud by rolling around on it. Um, and this book was- You're very, very welcome. What the hell? <laughs> Has he what? never said you're welcome to you before? No! What was that voice? <laughs> God. Okay, wait Siri a minute. Siri says you're welcome. So was... If you say thank you, it'll say you're welcome, right? Apparently. Yeah. Well, okay. So, okay, so. <laughs> that what, sounded what, what just you're... like the robot in iRobot. Not to it creep did, you out even further, but. Very creepy. Okay. <laughs> hey, Google, when was the Valley of Fear written? Sorry, I don't know how to help with that. Fair enough. So, <laughs> okay, whatever. The point The point is, 1880s, that was before even the first Sherlock Holmes story came out. Right. So, uh, Edgar Allan Poe was writing code-based, uh, cipher-based adventure stories well before this. So, there was, uh, and, and I remember I remember being too young to read The Gold Bug when I read it, but doing so anyway because uh, right. this is my way. But because it was Christian school, it was either that or the Bible. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so it's not surprising that that Doyle got swept up because you know we've we've noticed this. He tends to inject the flavor of whatever he's reading into whatever story he's working on. So it would not at all surprise me if he was like, "Fuck yeah, I'm gonna put some cryptography." Oh in here. yeah, oh for sure, <laughs> right? Just cause, just cause. It's it's so yeah. It's it's great. I love it. Very. I mean, good. same. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so we got to get through this. The um 1914, by the way, just in case. Yeah. Okay. So, through yeah. through the, the 15th cuz it was published serious serially in uh chapters. In two parts. Yeah. Of course, a cliffhanger. Yeah. So, uh yeah. The code uh decodes to say there is danger may come very soon. One Douglas, rich country, now at Burlstone House. Burlstone confidence is pressing, meaning, one presumes, that a man called Douglas is in imminent danger. And this is when Billy admits Inspector McDonald, who is the best. <laughs> I love this guy. Um, <laughs> he fucking loves Holmes. He thinks Holmes is the greatest. He and does. Holmes, but he's also not quote, afraid to challenge him, which I not, respect. Which is important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Holmes, quote, while not prone to friendship, quote, at least cheerfully tolerate him. Right. Not prone to friendship. I tried it once. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I got Watson. I'm good. I have one friend. Yeah. So, uh, he arrives and Holmes says, you are an early bird, Mr. Mac. I wish you luck with your worm. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So, Mac sees the cipher sheet that they're working on and flips out. He says, my favorite line in the entire book, he just says, man, it's witchcraft! (laughs) (laughs) Which... So he's Scottish, right? Yeah. So presumably he's doing like that. Man, it's witchcraft. Yeah, but right. Like, yeah. It, just, it makes him sound like a... 
man. I like it a lot. It, it makes me like, very happy. It's got 90s vibes or something. It really does. He's got like a scat cat kind of thing going. <laughs> it's great. He's like Heathcliff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or no, like Top Cat. Top Cat. That's there you what I mean. go. Okay. So uh, it appears to transpire that he was actually, he, he sees the cipher sheet they're working on and, and uh, says, he flips out and Holmes says, well, wait a minute. Why do you know these names? Because uh, that dude was hella murdered last night. <laughs> because he was murdered last night. Dun, 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 bum, bum, bum. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the next the next sentence is actually, chapter two opens with, It was one of these dramatic moments for which my friend existed. <laughs> and me <laughs> also. <laughs> yes. Hard save. <laughs> So Sherlock says that's a hell of a thing. Uh Mac was going to come invite Holmes to check out the murder, but now thinks that they should instead check on the guy who knew that the murder was going to happen. Which, you know what? Honestly, th- that's not a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> okay, but how to find Porlock? Holmes never looked to see who collected the money he sent for. He said he would not do so. And again, here here we come to the bit where uh, everybody, Scotland Yard thinks that Holmes is a little obsessed with Moriarty, mm-hmm. who Mac Mac also thinks is just the coolest guy. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, he's like, and, oh yeah, uh, I met that guy. I talked to him for a bit. He gave, me his, he gave me a copy of his book. It was great. Exactly. It was awesome. And we do get into some of like how Moriarty does his crime, which is actually really interesting. Oh yeah. Like Holmes, Holmes broke into his office, did some light skulking <laughs> and, uh, he stole some of Moriarty's checks, like, like just like his gas bill check <laughs> <laughs> and, and discovered that they're all from separate banks, meaning mm. that his money is spread out and nobody can tell how much money he has. And one of those banks is Deutsche Bank, just like another famous criminal uses. <clears throat> Anyway, uh, but back to, back to the murder. So Moriarty only punishes failure of any kind with death. And so it is, that's, that's his, he's, when all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So (laughs) it is reasonable to conclude that this Douglas has displeased him somehow and will serve as a warning to the others. Or maybe it was just a business murder, whichever, we don't know, but The working theory is that Moriarty super killed this dude. So they head off to Burlingstone. What's, tell me about Burlingstone, Nick. Take me a word picture. Take me a word photograph. This house is awesome. I want to live in this house. It's so it's just ancient, like King James or George or John the eighth. I don't know what ancient like 1600s um, house. It's got a moat. It's got a moat. With a working a- drawbridge. And it had the- two moats, one of which is now a garden. <laughs> right. And one of the funniest things that I found about this story, particularly the architecture of the house, is the moat, which is still cool, but it's only three feet deep. And, yeah. And the guy's like, at one point, um, you get like an impression of the, the guy and he's like, oh yeah, I always felt safer when I pulled the, when I pulled the drawbridge up at night. And I'm like, oh, yeah. dude, the moat's three feet deep. Like someone could, you could still, People can still walk across it. It's not, but like a child can drown in it. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to protect you from hedgehogs, <laughs> right? Like if that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's psychological. That's fine. But yes, yeah, so this house is a castle. It has a moat, a working drawbridge. Um, yeah, it's and awesome. yeah, that two wait two moats. I yeah, think. Twice yeah, yeah, double moat. It's a double moat. This all the way this is across the prime woods. real estate. So it really is. yeah, it's got just like acres. It's got a garden. It's just a huge property. You know, huge yeah. line of trees going up to the front it's of the house. It's something no individual human needs to own or live in. No, especially not two 
two. Count them two people, and then their one friend yeah. that comes over occasionally. Exactly. So you know, um, so the yeah. So you arrive at this house. It's it's it is a character in the story, as yep. usual when a house gets any more description than what color it is, uh, by Watson and um. It immediately, uh, you immediately get into the, okay, so chapter three kinda, let me know what you think about this. Chapter three was weird for me. I mean, it was necessary, but mm-hmm. it kinda bothered me because Watson wasn't narrating it. It was yes. just the events of what happened the night of the it murder. It was just third person. It was yeah. a third person well, just for no reason and for only that chapter. Yeah, and my note on that reads, and now some stuff that happened before we got there. We found out about it later. Don't worry about it. Keep reading. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. But we get we get some interesting history. Um we we learn that this manor house had fallen nearly derelict uh mm-hmm. when a couple of what I think we can safely call Victorian yuppies uh yeah. moved into it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, but it's yeah, chapter three is is the story of these Victorian yuppies and the remora businesses that come to attend them moving in. And it honestly had very hot fuzz vibes because it's this little tiny village and then these big city folks yeah. come in and they start spending their big city money and they fix up the castle, which completely clashes with the simple rural aesthetic. Right. Uh, but they are they are well loved, aren't mm-hmm. they, Nicholas? Yeah, Douglas Burlstone is um, from America, but he he quickly makes a good reputation for himself in the village. He yeah, he's, cool. he's like kind of like a people person. He goes to the pub, he talks to people. There was a fire mm-hmm. at the vicarage once that he helped put out and run in and get yep. some save some stuff from that fire. So people are like, all right, you know yeah. what? You're not you're not from here, but we we like you. You're okay. Yeah. He's just well, got a Americans, reputation. Americans uh, have, take half damage from fire elements. Obviously. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um so uh so yeah, he He's got a pretty good reputation. His wife is a little more uh, withdrawn. His unnamed wife, Mrs. Burlstone, <laughs> Mrs. Mrs. Douglas. That's yeah. It. Nope, never gets a first name uh, <laughs> yet again. You know what? All these unnamed women in these stories could be the same woman. For they all could we know. just like jumping from spouse to spouse. You never know. <laughs> oh, that'd be wild. Uh, <laughs> the, the real the Irene Adler. <laughs> yeah, forget Irene Adler. This chick, actually, but um. So yeah, she's, uh, she's still kind of like, she's more quiet, but not necessarily anything bad against her. Right. And then they have- more, more docile. Right. And then they have a friend named Cecil Barker who knew, uh, Douglas Burlstone from America. And, uh, <laughs> you find out later that they were, uh, they owned a, uh, they co-owned a mining operation together and they knew each other for years. Yeah. And, um, they they're just like old pals. He he goes over there all the time and hangs out with him, and he knows his wife too. And yeah. uh, like he basically lives there. He basically lives there. Yeah, he's just there all the time. And uh, yeah, and then you so you get this little picture of the three of them. Uh, the murder is just the catastrophe. Is yeah, um, basically what uh, what the description you get of events in this third person narrative is. Uh, it's the middle of the. Uh, it's not the middle of the night. It's like eleven thirty. Uh, it's yeah. it's late at night. The drawbridge has been pulled up. Uh, Douglas Wilson's going around his house uh, for the last time that night to check if all the lights are out or all the lamps are out yeah. because he's afraid of uh, fire starting. Um, reasonable, reasonable, and yeah. uh, well, and he, it's, it is perhaps worth mentioning. And I only just mm-hmm. now made this connection uh, yeah. when it's telling us the history of the house, which like part of this house was a castle from the First Crusade. Uh, it did burn down originally. Oh yeah, so yeah, makes sense. So that's yeah, that's not an unreasonable thing to right. be nervous about, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, so he's going around the rooms checking. Uh, 
the and uh a few people in the house hear a loud bang uh cecil uh cecil barker is giving gives most of the account of events he's kind of there right as soon as it happens um he he goes into the room and he sees uh the body on the ground with the head just utterly blown to bits just yeah and obliterated like you can't even recognize him anymore and um the window's been left open i think so he and then there's like a um there's a bloody footprint on the windowsill and blood all over the ground so he concludes that obviously someone snuck in was hiding or maybe robbing the place and he shot him uh he shot douglas in a panic and left out the window across the moat yeah and and that's and that's kind of how uh how thing as far as they know what happened right. until they get that's there. what they've been able to piece together yeah. right and here here is where the story started to lose me a little bit mm-hmm. uh there's a lot of very specific talk in this story of well wait a minute these two stories from these two witnesses don't match up by 30 seconds what yeah. happened in those 30 seconds there's a lot of this person ran into the door and saw that the candle was lit but the window was closed and 30 seconds earlier this person had said the lamp was on but the candle was down there's so and- much to just keep straight because not only yeah. are there these three people there's Ames, who's a butler, and then Mrs. Allen, who's the housekeeper, several yes. servants who aren't really relevant to the story. But then you have those two accounts. You have, so Douglas Burleson is dead. Um, yes, very much so. His Emphatically dead. Head exploded dead. So you have his wife's testimony, Cecil Barker's testimony, the butler, the housekeeper, and they're all saying different things that are kind of related. And there's just a lot of like, they have to let you know every specific detail, which I mean, I appreciate because you want to try to figure it out yourself. Um, and, but then you just keep getting more information that conflicts with other things. It's, it's very frustrating. You have to keep going back and yeah, yeah, it's. It's a lot, and, and on top of that, you have two other investigators there with Holmes. You have Holmes, exactly. You have it's you have Inspector McDonald, and then you have this other random guy who's yeah, like White the, Mason, <laughs> whose name is White Mason, and that's it. He's only ever called that. He's never called Mister Mason. He's never called nope. White. He's White Mason every time he's, he's mentioned. White Mason, and I'm like, yeah. is this a nickname? Is this just? Is he just one of those people who goes by his first and last name? All the time? Yeah. Or what? I don't know. Who knows? And well, and both of them, Mac, uh, McDonald, Mac, and, uh, and White Mason are referred to as the detective and the inspector. And that confused <laughs> the hell out of this citizen. Let me tell you. Because I am not familiar with British police rankings. Right. And, yeah, I mean, I, so, so, I, for some reason, I thought that White Mason was, like, another independent detective. Because he's okay, just dressed super normal, but he's not. He is with the police, right? He's a plain clothes, yes. I okay. believe he's, I believe he's from, uh, okay, so, uh, this, this is actually a nice lead-in. So, yeah. when they dis- they discovered the corpse, um, Cecil, Barker, uh, everybody, everybody came a-running. They heard, uh, a thump. The consensus is that everybody arrived more or less simultaneously. Cecil and everybody prevented the wife, uh, unnamed wife, from mm-hmm. going in to look at the body. Uh, and then Cecil ran to get the cops. Uh, the cop, to his credit, saw that he was way out of his depth. Yeah, he kind of just immediately was like, well, this is too much for me, better call in Sherlock. Exactly. <laughs> I am going to kick this shit up the chain if nobody minds because I do not recognizes kind of that he's out of his element and just yes. <laughs> admits it. And so it. He, sends, he sends to the county constabulary, which I believe is where is where White Mason comes okay, from. Okay, there we go. That makes sense. Yes. He gets a really nice description, too. 
Yeah, he's a cool looking dude. This is full, this is full of uh, descriptions of very handsome men, yeah. which lends credence to certain theories. <laughs> um, Bisexual Watson, definitely. I'm Cannon. just saying. Uh, if you're there not... are some quotes. There are some quotes later. We'll we'll get to those. He anyway, honestly yeah. describes more men as handsome than women. <laughs> Super does. The local constable uh, mm-hmm. is still there, even though he kicked the, the the call up the chain. But they're all investigating the room where it happened. Yeah, and the the question they're all they're all conjecturing and offering various theories. But the question is pointed out by the sergeant, uh, the local sergeant, with his quote slow bucolic common sense quote <laughs> uh, is that how did the murder men get in the house at all if the drawbridge was up that's the question nobody's asking that's the he, question we need to answer he walked across the it's three feet <laughs> it's three feet people well my understanding my understanding is that the drawbridge like covers the the entrance like the ingress egress point okay yeah so it might be like it's like sealed okay. there's like a there's like a wall that was my understanding yeah yeah I could be wrong but anyway so uh the conclusion uh, well, part of what I liked about that is that, so, like, part of the currency of stories about a smart guy, especially, mm-hmm. is making fun of dumb guys. Oh, yeah. But there's also, there's also a thread, and it's a thread that Doyle has used before, of simple people having, like, a wholesome wisdom kind of thing. Yeah. So, like, something about the nobility, what I wrote down here was something about the nobility of a mind that isn't stupid, but that is too slow to fool. And... Mm-hmm. that's interesting in retrospect i hadn't even thought about that because later on listeners slight spoiler alert this entire murder tableau upon which they have stumbled it is a bamboozlement yep. everything is not as it seems staged but af this, exactly <laughs> but the sergeant is the only one who's like yeah all that crazy shit whatever let's answer question one first mm-hmm. and question one fundamentally does not make sense with what actually ended up happening here right so uh, he refuses to let go Something that doesn't make sense, which you should do. I mean, he's got yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, you start from one. Anyway, right. So the conclusion is that Murder Man Jones uh, crept in while the bridge was down, and he lay in wait uh, for to murder. Until Douglas came in at 11, the drawbridge was raised, he was trapped in there with them. He murderated him and made good his escape. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a lot of talk about what the stuff they find in the room. There is a card bearing the initials VV and the numeral 341. Uh, the former of which is printed on the card, the latter of which was scrawled on the card by hand. Nobody knows what the hell that might mean. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a hammer. There's a, there's a lot of stuff in this room, essentially. Mm-hmm. And something they notice is that the corpseman, uh, the very dead Douglas, mm-hmm. two things are interesting about his corpse besides his prominent lack of face. Uh, <laughs> one of them is that he has branded, like literally branded, yeah. on his on his arm, uh, what many listeners might recognize as the Alcoholics Anonymous logo. Which is, it? <laughs> is a, Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a triangle inside a circle. Uh, and also that his wedding ring is missing. But why that's weird, or weirder than it appears on the surface, mm-hmm. is because he actually wore two rings on that finger, one other ring above his wedding ring so whoever stole his wedding ring had to take that ring off then take off his wedding ring then put that ring back on yeah so nothing about this makes a damn lick of sense right essentially and also the fact that his wedding ring is missing immediately makes everyone uh suspect that it was something to do with 
his yeah. marriage. And everybody you get, looks wife wise. Right. And you get a pretty uh uh stereotypical um you know, Cecil Barker might is he's younger than Douglas and his wife is significantly younger than Douglas as well. And they see they seem to really like each other. They probably right. were trying to they they're probably both they're guilty somehow of Commiserating. you know some something. And it, it makes him look really suspicious. When he's interviewed later, he stands very firmly on the, uh, Cecil Barker is like, no, you know, we, we, I, I didn't have anything with going on with his wife. Right. I'm his best friend and she is faithful to him. And you're yeah. like, you're like, sounds fake, but okay, reading it, but right. you know, um. Although that does appear to be the, the consensus. That appears to be the solid, like, common opinion. Is that I mean, Mr. I, I fell for it. Un- <laughs> I was yeah, like, yeah. probably. <laughs> Mr. Douglas and unnamed wife were, were, uh, were bonkers about each other. Mm-hmm. They, they, we, we now come to, uh, Evidence Roadshow with, yeah. with White Mason. <laughs> That's and really we get, what it is. We get the same story like four times from a million different yep. angles, and it's individually from each member of the household staff, um, which which turns out not to actually be too terribly much because only unnamed wife and Cecil Barker were near enough to hear anything. Uh, Ames, the butler, was in the pantry polishing the silver glug glug, <laughs> and uh, which which we later learn. He could not possibly have heard it. Like they do experiments it was the later, oppo- and it's utterly opposite yeah. side of the house, you know. And and the old the old housekeeper as well is very old and a bit deaf, so she didn't hear anything. Um, mm-hmm. The gun is there. It is a double barreled sawed off shotgun, which is an right? extreme <laughs> weapon for <the> Victorian age. <laughs> Like, you really will, if you really just want to absolutely make sure you're going to kill somebody one shot, that'll absolutely do it. There was one quick note that I just want to put out for fairness. The housekeeper is almost deaf and did sleep far away, but she did hear something in the night that sounded like the distant slamming of a door or something. So she did hear a noise that's going to be relevant later. She heard something, but a good deal earlier than when the gunshot went off. Yeah. What does that mean? Who knows? We don't know. Let's find out. That was another thing that we weren't sure if it was significant enough to take notes about. <laughs> <laughs> right? I just stopped after yes. a while. Like, I went from yeah. chapter three to chapter six. <laughs> so, um, so they've got this gun, mm. which Holmes knows off the top of his head is from America. It's made by the Pennsylvania Small Arms Company. Um, and so they presume that an American was the one who come in and perpetrated the murderation. Mm-hmm. And... Mac says that there is nothing here. Well, what's really fun is that Holmes, for a lot of this story, is content to, like, stay back and adjudicate uh, Mac and White Mason sort of bouncing ideas back and forth between them. Yeah. Uh, because because they both have different ideas of how copper work should be done. They both have different ideas of what happened here. But they do it in this very sort of friendly, convival, uh, we'll see whose theory wins out. Right. It's very thing. much like we're working together. We're, they're like, it, it's like an episode of like CSI or something where they're all it just is. buddies in the same precinct and they're like, well, this is what I think. Well, this is what I think. That's stupid. It's and here's why. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's great. And... Uh, White Mason is trying to zero in. He is trying to solve this thing while they are standing there in the room. He's mm-hmm. like, okay, this is an American gun, so an American came in and did this thing, and he's lining up all this evidence, and Mac is like, dude, you are making nothing but presumptions. He says, quote, there is nothing there that could not have been arranged. Mr. Douglas was an American, or had lived long in America, so has Mr. Barker. You don't need to import an American from outside to account for American doings, quote. (laughs) So 
he's saying, like, you're making things way too complicated, way too fast, dude. Just mm-hmm. follow the evidence that's there. And, right. Uh, it's so good. It's such a cool, like, just contrast of personalities because you have three yeah. guys who are all really smart and working together, but going yeah. about it in their own ways, which are all Very really different, different from each other. Yeah. It's yeah. really nice. It's a lot of fun. It's a dynamic you don't often see in these stories, and mm-hmm. it's one I wish we'd off- we'd gotten more of, actually. I hope Matt comes back at some point. I fucking love this guy. Right? I think he does. I'm pretty sure uh, Inspector McDonald becomes sort of like the new Lestrade. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, Holmes, for his part, uh, he's just absorbing information, mm-hmm. taking the occasional note uh, he is content at this point to play George Washington to Mason and Max Jefferson and Hamilton, respectively. <laughs> yes. So they conclude that pretty much no matter what angle you look at this thing from, no matter how much you arrange these facts, something about this, like, fundamentally does not make sense. Yeah, and there's also, oh, there's, I forgot, there's also one uh, important piece of evidence that uh, Holmes uh, zeroes in on. This guy... um uh, Douglas is, you know, really fit. He, he hunts, he does all that stuff. He's got mm-hmm. a dumbbell, which is like a weight, uh, for training, um, yeah. in his room, but there's only one where there would right. normally be two. And Holmes is like, well, that's weird. And he, and they're like, yeah. okay, yeah, I guess. And they kind of go back to it, but then he mentions it again. And yeah. they're like, like, what about he this won't dumbbell? Let it go. Like, he won't. And, um, there's a, there's just really a lot of that in the first, uh, part of this story of Holmes just pointing out things that are really weird and just kind of like not particularly elaborating yeah. on it and then just kind of being quiet and just kind of like saying it and then, then being like, okay, anyway, and just kind of yeah. weirder and weirder things. It's almost like he's testing how much faith they have in him and how mm. much just off the wall stuff he can say. I mean, it's all true, obviously, because he's freaking Sherlock Holmes, but like, right. it's almost like he's doing it on purpose. And I really, <laughs> I think it is. I think he's. I think he's letting them get all the wild conjecture out of their systems because they're talking about secret societies, and uh, you know, maybe a, a secret society man came and murdered this guy, and this card with the number on it. That that's a weird detail. That'll get printed in the paper. So when another <laughs> secret society guy reads that, he'll know that the murder had been done, mm-hmm. right, guys? <laughs> and and Holmes, I think, is just letting them exhaust themselves and waiting until they're ready to just listen to him. Mm-hmm. But once one thing that, like, what really exemplifies it for me is that they bring this up over and over again. So there's this moat. It's three feet deep. That is not very deep to prevent a full-sized siege, but is fairly deep for a normal-sized human to deal with. Right. But, like, all three of these men, even Sherlock, are utterly convinced that this escaped murder man will be sopping wet for the rest of his life. Like they're talking <laughs> yeah. about, put, they're literally saying, put an APB out for a man who is wet. And right? like, I don't, and <laughs> like you don't think just, that he would have seen the moat and then just, I don't know, like you would have, you would think he'd know about the moat and maybe brought some, or like, I don't well, know. You it's would, it's, it's three like, feet. <laughs> Nicholas, maybe it's just my California evaporation privilege. <laughs> yeah, work, that's true. But like, clothes dry? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It like, just seems like, like a... how, how foggy is England? I don't know. How <laughs> God, this There's also the bicycle, word. which I feel like we should mention. I can't remember when it's mentioned originally, but they do find a bicycle uh in some bushes yeah. near the property, which is weird and suspicious, but also like why if he was if this was the murderer's like ride, why would he like, why didn't he ride? Why would it? he abandon yeah. it? Yeah. Exactly. It's so found about a hundred yards away from the hall's door. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them, I forget who said it, but said, uh, one of them, I think it was, uh, 
White Mason said, quote, It would be a grand help to police if these things were numbered and registered. Which, that's an interesting idea. Because, like, mm-hmm. you, ha- you have to register cars. There has to be a database of who owns what car. Cars have to be individually yeah, numbered. Yeah, I guess it makes sense to have bicycles. I think bicycles did have registration numbers at first. Like, every bike. Okay. You just, if you had a bike, I would have to do a little more, re- I don't, I'm not 100% sure. Right. I just, like, this sounds familiar to me. Um, right. But, Dandy like. horse number seven. Well, if yeah. you think about it, a bike is really fast for Victoria. It's true. Like, it's, it's almost like the equivalent of a car at that oh, point. Yeah, we learned you know, it. unless It's you what have... allowed women to outrun patriarchy right, for like, a while. Yeah. Exactly. It um, was faster than the speed of misogyny. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Until misogynists invented cars yeah. and horses. But yeah. Right. And I know it's almost like, that's almost like weirdly true because women mm. just weren't allowed to drive for a while either. There was they that. Def- no, and it's like, they're they like, stop not. it. Don't let this become no. the next bicycle. <laughs> yeah. We got a lot of different theories going from all three. Uh, Holmes is keeping a lot of this close to his chest. He's barely yeah. telling Watson anything. After they investigate the murder, Watson kind of just, uh, oh, there's also an interesting scene. Watson, uh, Holmes goes back to the hotel with, or the, the country inn with, mm-hmm. um, White Mason and Mac to do some, uh, uh, more investigating or they're, they're working stuff out together. Watson is like, all right, I'm a little bit stressed. I'm going to go back to the end, but I'm going to walk through the garden first and just kind of right. like calm down. Um, which is totally like mood. I felt that. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and while he's in there, he comes across, uh, this is after all the interviews have taken place. He comes across Cecil Barker and, uh, Mrs. Douglas, uh, talking together and they just seem really suspiciously relaxed. She, he's yes. like telling a joke and she's laugh- laughing at it. Excuse me. Scout just smacked me in the face. Your cat just took a swipe. Did you see that? That was amazing. A paw just (laughs) shot up from the bottom of the screen. I know exactly what happened too. She was going after the wire on my scout. Okay, so Strider doesn't really play with toys, but he's obsessed with bendy straws. And Scout, again, doesn't really play with toys, but if she sees anything that remotely resembles a string, she just goes beast mode. So that hurt, but I'm okay. Okay, (laughs) good. Banished. Um, So Scout is banned on account of string crimes. (laughs) Damn it, I really thought I had the title with California Evaporation Privilege, but no (laughs) string crimes. There it is. So... Son of a bitch. So, oh my god, what was I talking about? Uh, I don't even know. Okay, I, that, so, was, yes, that shook uh, me up two... so much because she like is the calmest cat ever, and I was like, "Until are she's you good? <laughs> Until there's a string." Yes. Okay. So, uh, Watson comes upon these two uh, yes. being oddly, oddly chill and uh, friendly in uh, a secluded garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they they see Watson. And they, they kind of know, they know, they know who Sherlock Holmes is. They know, they, they understand yeah. like that he's pretty well known. And they're like, okay, Dr. Watson, you, you know, you know, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. And they kind of just like, it really roundabout kind of way, make it clear that they know something. And they're like, right. Hey, is there any way that you can convey some information to Mr. Holmes, but without making right. us look super bad? And Watson's yeah. just kind of like, 
No. Or can you? <laughs> is there a way? Is there a way to get information to Sherlock without getting it to the police? Yes, that's well? what they say. Yeah. Can we? Yeah. And, right, like Holmes is like an independent. He works independently, right? And they're asking him all these questions. And Watson, as soon as Watson sees them, like he had his suspicions about uh, Cecil Barker and Mrs. Douglas from the beginning. From, like, probably the fact that the wedding ring was stolen, because everybody kind of had the same thought at that point. And as soon as he sees them together laughing and just seeing seeming so lighthearted after the violent death of uh, Mm -hmm. her husband, he immediately just loses all compassion for both of them. And is yeah, like, he's out. He's like, nope, I'm not going to help you. I don't have any sympathy for you. You're no. obviously... You fuckers are taking us for a ride here. Right. Come on. Yeah. So he basically is just like, no, you know, I'm not going to get... He doesn't, he doesn't really give them any information at all. He... Did you just pull a jug of milk from off <laughs> No, this is water. Okay. <laughs> That's going to be... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just out here chugging 2% at my desk. <laughs> Dude, let me tell you... Our grocery store was out of 2%, and we had to do that whole milk life for a weekend. Oh, my God. It was – I felt like hedonism bot. Just <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> like I, I used to be able to drink milk before my stomach decided no more. That's and right. ho- there's such a difference. Whole milk is so much creamier. It's just oh – it's so good. All right. It's amazing. So <laughs> – Okay. So, yes. Yeah. Um, Watson Watson is out but he goes to Holmes and said yo these guys want to talk to you but only if you can promise that loose lips don't sink ships mm-hmm. um and Holmes says ah oh, fuck that <laughs> he says it was one of my favorite lines in the story he says quote no confidences watson for they're mighty awkward if it comes to an arrest for conspiracy and murder and yeah <laughs> I, one of the things i love about holmes Mm-hmm. Is that as as an avatar for Arthur Conan Doyle, and as we know, Arthur Conan Doyle, he picks up, he's like tofu. He takes up flavors of whatever he's reading or enjoying at the time, yeah. Yeah. which is why it'll randomly become like a sea story or a or a or a murder story or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, I feel like Holmes does the same thing, like because this this is all about Americans. Like, there's an American murder and an American wife and all this shit. Right. And he's like, that'd be mighty awkward, Watson. And it's just, <laughs> I don't know. He's just it in the character or something. Very happy it's super good it reminds me of how like data acts when he's doing a hollow suite program and he just like he'll just randomly intersperse like slang or something that he just learned and it's time to pluck a pigeon i love it (laughs) well and he goes on to say uh that he is convinced that the dumbbell this one missing dumbbell is the key to Mm. everything he says quote Mm -hmm. one dumbbell watson consider an athlete with one dumbbell picture to yourself (laughs) The unilateral development, the imminent danger of a spinal curvature. Shocking, Watson. Shocking. Shut up, <laughs> Conan Doyle. You're adorable. Never change. <laughs> Although it is, it is interesting and important to note that Holmes is being adorable on purpose because he's right. so far ahead of everyone. Oh yeah, yeah. He's just dropping bits of like what he actually has, yes. just as he goes along, and just like hoping that people will kind of not really hoping that people will catch up but just giving them like he's just waiting for them to run out their wrong ideas like he really wants to just tell everyone what's up and like he wants to give all this information out but he can't quite can't he has to be a hundred percent sure he's right but he can't resist dropping little bits here and there uh yeah and what was i there's a okay so at this point when holmes got hooked on the dumbbell i was like okay I think we've all been hooked on the dumbbell. I, <laughs> I, um, had a theory. Tell me. And it was, I, I can't even remember, now that I actually know what happened, I'm like, 
it just erased every theory that I had in my mind. But I, I have a note here that's like, Holmes' theory, you know, Barker and Mrs. Douglas are conspiring to conceal details about the murderer. Yes, uh, one dumbbell is missing. Is that important? I, at that point, I knew something had been sunk in the moat. Mm. I was like, there's something in the water. I don't know what it is. I thought that it was a body. I thought that it was sure. like the guy, I, I, at that point, I was like, okay, maybe the guy who killed Douglas, Cecil Barker killed him, and then they just dropped his body in the moat, and they're like, don't worry about it kind of thing. And right. but then I was like, nah, that can't be right. And then I was like, wait, what if, and then I remembered that his head had gone blown to bits. And I was right. like, hold on. What yeah. if, what if Douglas, Douglas Burlstone isn't actually dead. And then immediately yes! I was, and then immediately I was like, nah, that's ridiculous. It can't be that. <laughs> Uh, preposterous the very idea i literally wrote i I literally wrote like holmes theory and then under that i wrote douglas not really dead question mark my me theory probably wrong lol (laughs) (laughs) oh buddy i really need to have more faith in myself because i was right i was right believe in nick so yeah that was that was cool after that i stopped caring about everything else i was just like i got something right i (laughs) that's fair yeah no i too i had these i had these little uh these little seeds Mm -hmm. i was um i I kept making little notes that like um there was there was some stuff about like the times of people's stories not uh not matching up Mm -hmm. and i made a little note and i was like long enough perhaps to swap clothes with the corpse before people got there yeah oh (laughs) so spoiler alert listeners that corpse is not who we were led to believe that corpse Mm -hmm. is no Mm -hmm. not at all but we're not there yet so yeah this is the best way to talk about a story (laughs) right completely backwards So Holmes says that Barker's entire story is a lie, as is unnamed wife. In right. uh, it, she's in corroboration with him. It is a conspiracy, but why? To what end? To conceal what? Uh, Holmes concludes that the story, as it has been presented to them, is simply impossible. These mm. times don't line up. That's not how that works. Yeah. He is sure that the assassin was alone with the dead man for some time. Uh, with the lamp lit, which may or may not become important, I don't remember because I don't care about lamps. <laughs> so I don't. I don't think if it is, if, it's minor. Yeah, yeah, but if that's true, it means that both Barker and unnamed wife must be lying about the timing of the gunshot they heard, mm-hmm. which was certainly the cause of death. And furthermore, that the bloody footprint on the windowsill is a plant for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. So the question becomes. When was the murder? And uh, the help were gone to bed at half by ten. So it was no earlier than that. Um, they Holmes and Mac run some experiments, and they find out that no noise that can be made by humans, except perhaps Howie Mandel, can <laughs> be made in the study or Frank Welger, and be heard in the pantry. So Ames' part of the story checks out. Um, so why why did Barker and unnamed wife... Why did they wait half an hour to raise the alarm? This is the question. Yeah. Yeah, and we... Wasn't Howie Mandel, like, the host of America's Got Talent or something? What? Uh, he was the host of, um... What's that suitcase game? Oh, yeah, um... 
It was like Price is Right or something. Oh my no, god, no, so many Price people right. are yelling at us right now. Right. <laughs> I thought, uh, deal my, or no my deal. My grandma didn't that's watch this one, so I don't know. What was it? Oh, Deal or No Deal. Yeah, deal that's no right. Deal. Yeah. The only Which thing I do not understand even a little bit. I don't either. The only thing I remember no. about Howie Mandel is that he had that tiny little goatee patch and he also did. that he had OCD and wouldn't shake people's hands for that reason. Correct. My what, two main yeah. main points for Howie Mandel are that he was the voice of Bobby on Bobby's World uh, and also Bobby's father. Mm-hmm. And that um, he's the voice of Gizmo in Gremlins. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know yeah. he was a voice actor, so that makes your reference make way more sense. Okay. There you go. <laughs> um, cool. So, yeah, after that, um, so that's where we're at right now. Uh, no, it's not. Because no, it's not. Whole... <laughs> we, are, we, are, we are a chapter and a half away from that, sir. So I was just Holmes, handing the reins over to you. <laughs> so Holmes gathers all of this information. He's like, here's what I know so far. Right. And then he kind of just stops giving information out entirely and is like, all right. So he basically goes up to McDonald and White Mason and is like, all right, I've, I've got this whole thing pretty much figured out. If you guys want to come with me on a lovely stroll through the countryside, right. we can go do this. We can go to another thing. And they're like, Holmes, stop messing with us. Like, we obviously just tell us what you know. And Holmes is like, <laughs> well, I can't do that quite yet. Yeah. You're just going to have to wait and see. And, um, and, he basically is like, all right, so there's nothing that we can, there's nothing else we can find out right now. We have to go to the manor house and wait. And I've done some things there and just trust me. We're, You'll we're, see. we're gonna see. We're just, just wait. And Don't so they, worry about it. so they go and stake out basically in front of the yeah. house. And well, there, there are a couple of important bits first. Okay. Um, as they're, as they're breaking down why these events as presented don't make sense, uh, there's a, there was a quote I really liked because unnamed wife has been like super docile throughout this whole thing. Oh yeah, not, no. As soon, not super upset. Yeah. First, first, uh, giveaway, the, when the butler gave his account of the events, he mm-hmm. specifically said that he, uh, when she was informed of that he had just died, she barely reacted to it. Exactly. So, which was, and she was, yeah. And she was guided away, uh, and Holmes said, should I ever marry Watson? Although maybe that comma wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> should I ever marry Watson? I should hope to inspire my wife with some feeling which would prevent her from being walked off by a housekeeper when my corpse was lying within a few yards of her. Which right. is, I mean, people process grief differently, but also that's a fair point. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. So Holmes, Holmes says... That he is sure they are in on the murder somehow. Mm. Maybe not that they did it, but that they know what the fuck is up. Yeah. And that if they're not like a romantic secret couple, whatever, who mm-hmm. cares? Even if they weren't, they knew that this scene would make them look like they super were. Right. So, so they're, the reason. Yeah, they're acting really sus. The whole Correct. Time. Yeah. And they have probably manipulated this scene to shift the eye of suspicion away from them. They have mm-hmm. taken the one ring and thrown it far away in <laughs> hopes that the eye of Sauron will leave them the hell alone for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, the local, the local <clears throat> inn has on register an American named Hargrave, who is a ghost. He vanished mm-hmm. afterwards uh and he was reputed to look almost exactly like douglas himself huh yeah. how curious yeah but so there was this american this american had this american gun this is max hypothesis hargrave came to town on a bike with a valise he snuck into the hat into the manor house he waited he murdered and he exited stage moat and holmes says good job here's everything about that 
that's wrong. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and Mason says, "Well, can we help you, Mr. Holmes?" And Holmes says, "No, no, no, no. Uh, I'm just gonna borrow Watson's umbrella. Uh, <laughs> darkness, darkness, and Doctor Watson's umbrella. My wants are simple." Later, Holmes returns to the to their room at the inn and has that whole that whole exposition you talked about about how right. I know what's up. You guys gotta you guys gotta come hang out with mm-hmm. me. So they do. They do a bit of skulking round about the manor house. Oh, also um, before this happens, they have um. I think it's I think it's Inspector Inspector McDonald deliver a note to the house saying correct because of investigative reasons we have to drain the moat <laughs> and crime because yes. crime because we're the police yes. thank you yes we will be doing yeah. this um, Holmes yeah Holmes says he has learned something very important about the history of the of the house uh, with like a little uh, he spent some he spent the night in the study with uh, Watson's umbrella. And mm-hmm. uh, a little like pocket history of the manor house, which yeah. he bought from a tobacconist. Sure, I love right. that shit. Right, you can go to a tobacconist, and you can like probably get a tooth pulled, and you can just like it's it's wild. Well, like but I, I, I guess it kind of makes sense. Tobacconist at the time, every every single person smoked, so like it's true. They they must have been almost like. 7-Elevens, like, like just general I, probably, stores where like they that's mostly probably sell. probably a really good comparison. Yeah, yeah, like they mostly sell tobacco, but you can also get snacks and, you know. Whatever. Just like, Yeah, just like all kinds yeah. of, it's like, here's some local history, here's a guidebook, here's Doritos, you know, yeah, like any of any that. Any kinds of stuff, yeah. yeah. Well, and that, that made me happy because it marked a return to, uh, Holmes's love of sensationalist literature, which was mentioned in Study in Scarlet, but hasn't really come up again since. Cause they, when, um, when old, when, you know, uh, mm-hmm. when What's His Butt was, was describing Holmes to Watson, he was talking about how his knowledge of sensationalist literature and like the pulp novels was yeah, fucking yeah. through the roof and that right. shit never came up again but i love that holmes is like oh what's this tawdry criminal doings in the local <laughs> yes please he's like, i'll take this he's got his my stand at his local right like tobacco shop where he's just exactly. Ooh, doing, all right he's just browsing local it crime you say right don't mind if i do <laughs> okay so it is the nighttime, and as arranged uh they have gathered outside the manor house what happens next nicholas so they come and take the wheel <laughs> they they watch for hours they're waiting they don't really know when yep. it's gonna you know uh when what they're even looking for um and holmes uh is like you know just like wait like obviously if criminals broadcast if, if they went in there was a funny line about that uh hold on one second find it You're oh, good. let me stumble through it real quick oh yeah so Holmes says uh oh so the inspector says uh you know after several hours i'm sure how long is this to last and what is it we are watching for and Holmes says i have no i have no more notion than you how long it is to last uh, if criminals would always schedule their movements like railway trains, it would certainly be more convenient for all of us. Oh, <laughs> and just Holmes. like, he just snaps. I love it. Uh, but yeah, uh, Holmes is extremely sarcastic and he is. you only get Holmes to see it. A son of a bitch. You get to see it a lot. It's just, he, it's so, it's so bizarre to me how he gets characterized as just this cold, like, emotionless, completely scientific nope. person where it's the utter opposite. No, he's a goofball. <laughs> he's he's just constantly goofing on everyone. But it's very good. So they're waiting and then they see someone in the murder room walking mm-hmm. back and forth doing something and immediately as soon as they um 
uh, oh no, he's he's right outside the window, searching yeah. through the water. They hear the water being disturbed, splashing, and Homer's yeah. like, "All right, now." He runs up to the house, uh, has Ames uh, rings the bell, has Ames lower the drawbridge. They run up to the room, and uh, Cecil Barker's there, uh, fishing something out of the moat. And Holmes uh, explains that he. Uh, You're nicked, my son. Right, like he he left something there, and he knew that by announcing that they were going to drain the moat, they weren't really going to. Whoever, right. you know, whoever left it uh, would, or right. he replaced something there that he found that he knew was going to be there. It was the second dumbbell. Correct. And there was a like little package in there, and inside the um, the like uh, the piece of cloth, there's the dumbbell, which was used to weigh down. Um, there was a knife. Some clothes. Uh, some clothes. Yeah, let's do the clothes. And I think... I and think, a coat. And a coat. A uh, distinctive yellow coat. Right, which is what was described as the bicyclist wearing. Correct. And so that's interesting. And right after this happens... Uh, <laughs> do you want to go with the... Do you want to do the next part? Uh, yeah, so they, they pull all this shit out. Uh, the coat's label says that it came from Vermisa, USA, wherever the hell that is. Right. Um, it's a it's a little wee town in an iron and coal mining valley. Holmes learned very possibly this valley of fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the car that everybody that they found with the murdered um, the murdered murder man uh, VV Vermisa Valley is presumably this valley of fear. So uh, it is revealed. It's the analog. No, it is. It is, it's, it is, it's the animal <laughs> valley. So Barker, uh, refuses to speak until they present a warrant and unnamed wife says, look, you've, you've done enough. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And Holmes says, yeah, uh, let Mr. Douglas tell his own story and then just drops the mic. And yeah, basically. At this point, <laughs> That Casey punched the air because I called it. I called that corpse it was mm-hmm. not who it was supposed to be. It. I wasn't right about who the corpse was. I don't think. Maybe you can clarify this point for me because I was confused. But we'll get to yeah. there in a second. No, so, I had no idea who the corpse was. I was like, okay, so it is okay. a murderer, but I don't know who that is or maybe. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's not. I, I it's that not Mr. Douglas. Not Mr. Douglas, Douglas is alive because he's Matt coming out says, of the walls right now, <laughs> like yes, them pirates in, in in fucking Pirates of the Caribbean too. <laughs> and Max says, okay, cool, then whose death have we been investigating? <laughs> so wait a minute, maybe maybe you can clear this up for me. So, so, okay, so the man we knew as Cecil Barker was in fact Mr. Douglas. No. No? Um, no. Douglas just, um, no, he, Cecil Barker is a real person. He, um, right. he... He just helped cover up. Douglas was trying to get away from these guys. Right, and, the murder mans. Yeah, the, the people who were out to murder him. He, it was basically a, he needed to fake his own death. Right. In order to think the people who were chasing him that, let, that make them think that he had died. Right. And he needed, uh, I, I, I don't, does it say who the dead guy is yet? It's, it's, it's the guy the, who came it, to kill him from the, the mining assassin. operation. Yeah. It was My the assassin. Understanding. Oh, he's, he's named like once. He, he's, yeah, he's his, named his name once. is, his name is, yeah. his name is, uh, Ted Baldwin. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Um, and he was, and he was, uh, Douglas's nemesis. He saw him once and he knew that these people had closed in on him mm-hmm. and then there was a terrible struggle. And the struggle, oh no, there's a murderman at the window, and it went knife, hammer, gun, goodbye, face. And that was the story of Ted Baldwin, uh, who has an identical brand, a mark of the lodge, which is yes. referred to. So Ted Baldwin 
happens to kind of look, okay, so what happens is he, he comes in the window. He is about to kill, uh, uh, Douglas Burlstone. Douglas Burlstone being a utter stone cold badass yeah. takes him easily in a fight. Yeah, unarmed, um, yeah. and yeah. manages to finish the fight by shooting this guy in the face with the own weapon that he brought. That'll and do it. He's on the ground dead, and he's like, "Well, crap, we got a body in here." Um, Cecil Barker comes in, and they basically just together uh, concoct this whole plan. Like, "Hey, this is convenient. Now we can we can turn this around to make it look like this guy succeeded." And right. they dress him up in uh, Douglas's clothes, you know, right. leave the note there so that it, when the newspaper get got the story out, uh, it would it would seem like and, you know, because his face was obliterated, they couldn't okay. identify him as Douglas, which I it, it makes sense up till then. But my problem with this whole thing. Oh, and also Holmes learned at some point while reading the uh, history of the house that there was a secret uh like hiding spot because a lot of old houses oh, have if you ever saw okay. skyfall um there's actually <laughs> motherfucker if i ever saw skyfall <laughs> if you yes, ever saw skyfall uh it's one of those types of houses where there's just there's just places to hide it's called like yeah. a priest hole or something and um okay they, yeah I think so I holmes knew that. about that and at that point i think holmes realized that okay this probably isn't this isn't douglas he's still alive right. and we j- Basically, I think they know everything except who the corpse is. Okay. And then Douglas provides that when he shows up. So I, I was reading very quickly by the end. Because you're good. <laughs> I, yeah. My, what I thought was happening was yeah. that the, the corpse was the assassin. Everybody knows that. Yes. That's, he, he got what was coming to him in, in the parlance of our good friend Dylan Spencer. He played stupid games and won a stupid prize. Mm-hmm. Um, shotgun to the face. That'll, yeah, uh, not redeemable for tickets. Um, <laughs> what I thought had happened was assassination gone wrong, and that the man we had been introduced to as Cecil Barker was in fact Douglas pretending to be Barker, which would have explained the closeness and easiness he had with unnamed wife. I thought we hadn't met the real Cecil Barker. No. But your version, your version makes more sense and is less complicated. It's yes. Less, it's, it's more elegant. And also, they don't look anything alike, really. So that's it'd be, a point. Yeah, it'd be hard for. Yeah, I mean, like that's fair. That I would, put a hat yeah. on a hat. Yeah, <laughs> we're but we're simultaneously very smart by figuring out what happened, and also very exactly. stupid because we just ran between us. Between, <laughs> between us, us, we're one reasonably intelligent. Between guy. us, we're one step above Watson. Nowhere near Holmes, but we're at no. least a step above Watson. Um, exactly. So, <laughs> so yeah, Mr. So Mr. Douglas, who is very much alive. um... And I just realized was the name of one of our teachers at school. Wild. Oh yeah. Um, you got him too. Yeah. Government, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. I uh, Spanish, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, he taught both. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so Douglas emerges. Uh, he's been on the run from these cats. From <laughs> this makes me really happy. He was. They've chased him from all the way from California to Chicago, which is that is a very long distance, but it makes me happy because it's the only two places in America that Doyle knows. Right. <laughs> like, whenever an American shows up, it's either going to be Literally. California or Chicago. Or, like, Utah that one time. Exactly. <laughs> but, no, yeah. which, is, which is fair, because if you ask me to name some places in England, I'm like, ah, London, uh, the, the North, I don't know. <laughs> right. And, I mean, it makes sense, Liverpool. too, because is California with the... I don't know. With, like, the gold rush and Chicago yeah. being... Chicago is, like, two extremely high-activity Chicago places. Chicago to Chicago, yeah. You know. 
So, so anyway, all yeah. of the, this this failed murder turned into a real murder, but not of the one who was supposed to be. Douglas comes out and says, yeah, this dude tried to kill me, and he uh, rolled a nat one, essentially. <laughs> yeah. So where does this leave me with regard to the law? Paul? Right, he literally just asks him, like, so am I, uh, am am I, I going to be arrested? Or, <laughs> or yeah. And Holmes says, okay, you are way too far down that road. We'll get mm. to that in a minute. Yeah, like, why don't you tell me? So there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> let's back it up a little bit. Why don't we talk about how these people found you and also why they want to kill you? And also, apparently there's some connection to Moriarty as well. There's that. Yes. <laughs> which we yeah. keep forgetting about. Yeah, which uh, was a was a shocking and which pleasant is... surprise. Once I started typing up my notes, uh, I was mm. like, oh, yeah, that's right. This whole thing is connected to Mario. Yes, Mario. Somehow. This whole thing is connected to Marinara Dan, the Martin, sauce man. Martin. Martin. Yeah. yeah. Martin. Martin Crane. <laughs> yes. Wow. Fraser so, was way more complicated than I thought it was. <laughs> there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of layers. Uh, so, um... <laughs> God, I love Fraser so much. <laughs> there's a there's a Twitter account uh called Out of Context Fraser. I know I see you liking stuff from it all the time. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is it's not real. It's not real Fraser quotes. Right. But but there, one of them was like I perch on the edge of my apartment building, my katana safely sheathed for the moment. Go ahead, Seattle. I'm listening. <laughs> it's just, it's very good. I recommend you follow Out of Context Fraser. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, so Douglas essentially says, well, to tell you the whole story of how came we to this place and to the summation of these events would require a whole second half of the book. So that's what you're going to get here. Conveniently, I had it right that. here. Yep, literally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He literally hands Watson a stack of paper like, well, here's my backstory. Yep. I had time to write it while I was holed up in that for hiding spot. One for easy payment days. of twenty nine ninety five. Right. And uh, that is where we're going to call it because we've been recording for a very long time and you, the gentle listener, have been uh, graciously allowing us into your earbuds for mm -hmm. that same length of time. So uh, let us know what you think of the Valley of Fear. Go ahead and tweet at us. Uh, let us know what your favorite architectural feature uh, besides <laughs> How much Heidi did God. you guess right? <laughs> yeah, let us know how much you guessed right because some of these seem to be designed... I mean, I feel like we were supposed to be able to do a little mental math on this yeah, one, right? Yeah, this story, I, I'm i going to admit this right now. I honestly don't ever really work that hard to try to figure out how it happened. Yeah, I kind of just watch the story. Like, most of the detective stuff media I consume, I'm like, I always kind of try a little just, bit. I, I throw out a right. couple guesses, but I don't really. But with this story, it's so confined to one location and so yeah. focused. You get so many details. You can't help but try to get your own theories as it goes along and it's engaging it's extremely you know engaging it, it really it really asks you to try to figure it out and yeah. so i feel like i feel like that was so yeah we'll see how many if anyone else you know if it yeah, got anybody let us, else let us know what you're thinking mm -hmm. uh you can at us at the final podblum uh as long as it is not to uh berate us for <laughs> answering an open solicitation for wait shit i can't remember if that was in the pre-show or not never mind i might have to cut this um, but yeah you can at us at the final podblum we would love to hear from you mm -hmm. uh and hear your thoughts and your questions and pointing out all the things that we didn't put together i'm sure it was a lot of them for me <laughs> it was um, it was a lot for me as well yeah, my notes are in, a mess there there is a lot going on in this book 
I um, assure you, if I found out anything correctly, it was utterly by accident. It was entirely by yeah, accident. <laughs> complete coincidence through, through no, no virtue or effort of our own. Mm-hmm. And for next week, uh, go ahead and read The Valley of Fear Part 2, which my memory insists is called, like, The, sc- the Scouring? I think the Scourers. The Scourer, the Scullery yep. Maids, The Scallions. <laughs> Yes, yep. Gordon Ramsay is going to guest star. That would be amazing. What if we just got <laughs> Chef Ramsay to guest star on our show? I would Sherlock lose Holmes my podcast. mind. I love him so much. It'd be incredible. He's so cool. What a good dude. Unless he's not, for reasons that the internet will make apparent. Probably. As far but, as know, I know, I he's okay. I think the internet should be afraid to cancel Gordon Ramsay because that right. man knows how to knives. Uh, <laughs> So go ahead and read uh, The Valley of Fear Part 2 for next time. You should go listen to our friends Good Game, Great Game, uh, one of whom, Andrew Orsi, was kind enough to visit us last time for the Three Gary Debs episode. Uh, I have been really enjoying a podcast called Omnibus from uh, John Roderick, lead singer of The Long Winters, and Ken Jennings, the guy who won Jeopardy 47 goddamn times. That is not an exaggeration. Oh, damn. Um, Here's the thing, Ken Jennings, if by some cosmic coincidence you ever hear this, you should not be that smart and that charming. Go to hell, sir. Uh, but anyway, go listen to the omnibus. Uh, the, the central premise is that these two dudes are compiling, like, a time capsule of obscure and esoteric knowledge for the inevitable downfall of our civilization and the species of, like, cockroach to pusses that will come afterwards. That sounds incredible. It's very good, and uh, it's... It's all, like, historical, really interesting stuff. Uh, I learned about uh, Ada Lovelace and about why lead was ever in gasoline in the first place and about (laughs) the most disappointing comet ever to touch the sky. The defenestration of Prague, which is when some Protestants literally threw their town council out of a window twice. You can learn about... Take note. (laughs) Yep. You can learn about the secret war that Britain and the United States had that was caused by a pig... Uh, you can learn about the creation of the actual uh, concept of a tesseract. You can learn about the novel that was written without using the letter E. You can learn about the Newton's Cradle. You can learn about the secret order of the double sunrise. It's all kinds of cool stuff. Anyway, uh, yeah, go listen to Omnibus. It's dope. And I ran out of steam because it's sleepy time. Nope, you're no. good. Ah, I'm tired too, but it was really, it was so good to be back, honestly. Like, yeah, it really was. I we was did, really missed... looking forward to getting back on that. Like, even last week, we were like, all right, time to do podcast too, and then something else came up, and we were like, ah, come on. <laughs> just nothing for it. No, but... listeners, th- this is something we started to do mainly for friendship experience points, and I, I think that's still the main net gain we get from it, but mm-hmm. all of you are super cool. Oh, and yeah. we've made, we've made a lot of friends, and like, <laughs> this, this project's not gonna last forever you know we we recently were talking about next steps and the the current plan is that once we finish the canon we're gonna let the final podblum just be a finished complete thing that mm-hmm. we can look back on that people will always be able to listen to it'll always be available oh yeah yeah but that it'll it'll just kind of be a, a done thing rather mm-hmm. than try to stretch it past its natural lifespan but like all you cool cats that we have met too many of you to name, and also I wouldn't try anyway because I'd be afraid I'd leave one of you out and hurt your feelings just because I can't remember 50 people off the top of my head because that's how many cool friends we've made. Um, <laughs> all you guys are super dope, and we love and appreciate all of you, especially those of you uh, who were kind enough to buy some sweet merch uh, from Nick during yes. that time he had to fight a doppelganger in California. That was that was intense. Yeah, that's it was it was amazing. Yeah, the utter like just the. The support and just the friendly, the nice, people just, Sherlock Holmes fans are just nice. They're just cool. It's true. Yeah. yeah. 
They're cool dudes. Um, go follow Chris Daly, who is in the habit of posting new birds for every episode. I cannot wait to see what bird he comes up with for this. <laughs> um, and I can't believe I'm becoming this guy, but go check out the American Birding Association website. Go check out <laughs> oh, the man. ABA. I'm oh, not man, even Casey. in it. I'm not even a member, but I keep buying shit from them. I've got the duck stamp right Birds here. Birds are cool. Birds are just like that. Honestly, waxwing. as as a huge, huge fan of owls, the yeah. more you learn about birds, just the more you like them. There's so many. It's, it's like you can't – there's a bird for everybody. There's a bird there's for a every bird occasion. There's a bird for every occasion. It's true. Whoa! Jinx. Jinx, <laughs> my buddy. Hey. All right, all our buddies. Well, until then, uh, we love all of you, and uh, he who mote it, smote it. Dote it. Bye, other buddies. Yeah. <laughs> Go to. I don't know.